The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center. This hour, the surge in yields and your money. What the rise in rates really means for stocks as the Nasdaq once again gets hit at this hour. We will debate it with our investment committee. Joining me for the hour today, Shannon Sakosh is the chief investment officer at Boston Private Wealth. Jim Labenthal is here along with Joe Terranova and Pete Najarian. Let's go to the wall. I'm going to show you exactly what's going on now. Yields at the highest day for the 10-year, 168. Nasdaq is heading back down to the lows of the day or thereabouts. Down 173 points, was down about 198 or so, so a little bit to go to get to that point. But, Jim, this is the way I suppose it's just going to be as long as yields remain the headline story in the market. So, yeah, exactly. But, you know, we've been talking about this yield story now for several weeks, and at some point it wears off. I see the 10-year at 167. I hear all the people saying, yeah, it's going to go to 2%. Guess what? It's not that far away from 2%. And my point being is that stories lose their punch over time. This one is likely to lose its punch. And when you get that point, uh, what you say is you look at large cap tech, these growth at a reasonable price stocks like Apple, like Google, like Facebook, and you say they are very reasonably priced right now. I can buy them. On the other hand, those high-flying growth stocks, the softwares, the work-from-home stocks, I think they do still have more room to fall. They're just still too overvalued. Shan, you look at the ARC funds, uh, you know, that you, you know exactly where to look, right? It, you, it's, it's cause and effect. You, you see what ha- what's happening with, with rates. You look at the NASDAQ first, and then you look within the NASDAQ. You see a lot of the ARC fund stocks, the Kathy Wood stocks are, are down a bunch, uh, certainly over the last month. You're seeing those high growth names down a bunch over the last month in terms, you know, 25 to 30 percent, in some cases even worse than that, r- respectively. Here's my point, though, okay? Everybody says, or a lot of people say, and we've heard it on this show over the last couple of days, yeah, don't worry about it. Rates are going up for the right reason. That's all that matters. Rates are going up for the right reason because the economy is booming and we're going to go nuts the, the rest of the year. I say, well, it doesn't matter if they're going up for the right reason or not. The mere fact that they're going up is an issue that the market has to readjust to. Yeah, and I think that you're, you're stating the right way, Scott. It's a readjustment. We're thinking about it in terms of, you know, this is where these stocks were last year. This is where they were coming into this year. If you think about what the potential earning streams over the course of the next several years are, um, it's less clear cut. There, there, are, there are better catalysts or stronger catalysts or easier to identify catalysts for some of these cyclical names over the course of the next three or four quarters. We're talking about a significant infrastructure package. We're talking about GDP growth that could be 6%. How does GDP growth at 6% necessarily translate into robustly stronger earnings for DocuSign? 
That's, that's the difficult math that has to be done by investors today. And I think that's why you're going to continue to Jim's point. I think he made a great one, and I agree with him. I think that there needs to be a continued re-rating on some of these high-growth stocks. I think that expectations have, were pulled forward significantly, as Jenny has said several times on this show, in 2020. And now we look at what are the earnings going to be six, seven, eight quarters from now? What is the rate that we're discounting those earnings at? And if I look at this basket of stocks that you pointed to, could they continue to be lifted by economic growth improvement? Absolutely. Is, does there need to be a bit of caution in these higher valued stocks in your portfolio? Definitely. And I think that's what you're seeing now. But to Jim's point, again, we look in the middle of this and we look at some of these growth names that can continue to be lifted by economic growth. You look at the valuations on those. They're not um, significantly overvalued. And I just continue to think about the potential opportunities here to buy some of these stocks that maybe you missed over the last few years and you want in the core of your portfolio over the next two or three years. It's coming. It's here. Make sure that you take advantage of it. I don't, Joe, have a lot of people coming on this program these days and saying, you know what? That 21% decline in Shopify looks really awesome to me. The Teladoc 36% decline looks so good. I'm just going to snap that one up along with Peloton and PayPal and Cloudflare and Square and Twilio. At what point do these stocks just get ridiculously attractive because they've sold off so much? And we do think at some point the market is going to get okay with the fact that rates are readjusting. Yeah, I've, I've heard for the last 30 years how investors always want to buy the dips and traders want to buy the dips and then the dips come and they don't want to buy the dip. So, you know, you're mentioning the names that are clearly identified as momentum. And that, I think that's what's going on right now. Longer duration assets as it relates to equities, they're most commonly referred to as momentum names. Now, Treasury yields are back to pre-pandemic levels currently uh, coming into 2020. The pricing for a 10-year treasury was 1.92. Where momentum resides right now, Scott, is actually in treasury yield. So I would expect we're going to approach the 1.92 level. I think markets positionally are growing a little bit more comfortable with this move in yields, but I still see vulnerability for these long-duration momentum names. Uh, there are more tremors to come after the big earthquake that was experienced in late February. And I think that's what the expectation on the part of an investor should be. Yeah, part of the problem, though, you, you say that the market is, is growing more comfortable with where rates are or, or investors are. At the same time, the market seems to be growing increasingly uncomfortable with the Fed. That all of a sudden, you know, the market's starting to doubt the Fed. Is the, you know, Powell, he, he didn't deliver what we wanted him to deliver a week ago. And rates shot up and the markets shot down as we were having this conversation on the air, right? Powell's going to give a press conference today. Now I wonder where market expectations, Joe, have gone to where, you know, they feel like Powell needs to intervene on the fact that rates are starting to rise. Perfectly stated. Uh, markets expect Chairman Powell to address the taper timeline to push back against inflation. There should be concern that he doesn't. I'm wondering how much of the eagerness in terms of raising taxes on corporations and individuals is playing in the back of the mind of Chairman Powell, because in some capacity, that's fiscal tightening, Scott. So if the chairman does not lay out a taper timeline, if he doesn't push back against inflation, 
then we have an environment that you're describing wait, where wait, volatility is going to respond. Wait, 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 wait. You think that that's where the pressure line is for today? He needs to come out today and do that? He's not going to give you a timeline with dates and all of that, and he's gonna, not going not gonna to say, look on your calendar and circle this date, Joe Terranova, because this is the date we're going to do it. I mean, Rick Reeder is on Squawk Box this morning. He says they're going to start tapering the front end, okay? Um, they're going to continue buying the long mm-hmm. end, but they're going to start tapering the front end right. of the curve. So I emailed Rick. And I said, well, when do you think they're going to start doing that? And he said between, well, maybe between September and the end of the year. And he thinks there's a reasonable chance you get to 2% on the 10-year this year. He also said that on, on Squawk Box this morning, Joe. So I agree with, with everything he just said. And how do you then begin the process of tapering? You communicate today by not saying something, that that's actually going to be coming. You prepare over the next couple of meetings in the message, in the statement from the Federal Reserve, that the taper, okay, is actually going to be coming towards the end of the year. You no longer suggest that you're thinking about further purchases. You take that language back, and that communicates to the market that the taper timeline is going to be initiated at a future meeting. Yeah. All right. Well, then I can I mean, taper tantrums, my next thought, because, uh, you know, whether you communicate it or not. Right. I, I could communicate that, you know, I'm grounding my my, my child. Um, it doesn't mean I say, oh, OK, that's cool. Thanks for telling me. I appreciate the communication. You gave me the heads up. They throw a tantrum, maybe if, if we do that. Pete Nigerian. Yeah, so I, I'm looking at all your moves today and I don't see you uh, buying calls in, in any tech stocks basically at all. I'm wondering where you think this market's going from here, Pete. Well, I don't think it's not just from here, Scott. I think it's the same market that we were looking back in November when we were looking at a market that suddenly you get this big turn, this tidal wave turn. And, you know, I hear about all these different stocks that that have no P.E. or very extreme P.E.s, and that now is the time. And I, I don't agree with that. Here's why. As we come out of this, and we are coming out of this, as vaccines are distributed, as the stimulus is being pushed out there, as the economy is starting to pick back up again, Scott, it, I think it still favors a lot of the names that have been really reacting since late October, early November. And I'm talking about energy. I'm talking about, you know, the, we talk about valuation all the time. And we, we look at a lot of these various names. And I think there are, are, are sectors and individual names that still have room to run. And, and I, when I look at where they are trading presently as far as valuation, and the growth that we've already seen from some of these. I mean, we're talking about a lot of different names, whether you look at the financials or energy or industrials that have doubled. And so that's pretty nice performance. And yet, when you look at a lot of these names, there's still plenty of run, runway, I think, in front of them. So, you know, I, I look at all those names where they don't have a PE because they don't earn anything. We don't know when they're going to be earning. Um, I think I'd rather be in some of the other names where we know what their earnings are. We think they're going to continue to grow to the upside. We continue to see what, how things are, are moving in a much more positive way. My biggest concern right now, however, is definitely what's been going on when you look at the commodity prices and that consistent move that we have seen from copper and from, from steel and from a lot of the different areas of the marketplace, oil, obviously. I mean, this has been an unbelievable run in a short period of time for these particular entities. And um, I, I think it's okay if we see a pause there, but I think that actually creates opportunity as well. Okay. The most interesting move of the day from the committee comes by way of Shannon Sakosha, who, 
tells us that she trimmed Disney by 20 percent, which is interesting because the CEO, Bob Chapek, just came on the network and said, by the way, Disneyland and all the theme parks are opening on April 30th. The stock, which was negative, turns positive. It's at 195. It's about seven or eight bucks away from getting back to its 52 week high, which is it was at not that not that long ago. Why the why the Disney trimming? Just looking at it in terms of portfolio construction and risk and reward, if we look at what's happening from a Disney perspective, we are going to get increased park revenue. We're going to see people coming back to the parks. We're looking at a re-emphasis on direct-to-consumer in the streaming business. Uh, and we just feel like there could be some short-term consolidation as people take a sigh of relief. Um, you start to get park revenue back. People have been very focused and actually perhaps over-focused on the shift to streaming as we move into a period where I think there are going to be com uh, questions across streaming companies about the level of digital engagement over the course of the summer and into the fall. I actually don't think that will produce a significant number of, of subscriber churn or, or significant increase in subscriber churn for Disney Plus or for Netflix for that matter. But I do think it will weigh on the sentiment because I think now you're asking investors who perhaps moved out of Disney because they wanted to see that park free cash flow and perhaps a dividend. You're asking them to come back into the stock Whereas you have a new flock of investors that have added to Disney for the streaming service who might be concerned about subscriber rates slowing. And so I just think we're entering this period of consolidation. The stock's done very well. We've been very happy with it. It's still a large position in our portfolio, but we think it makes sense to trim a little bit off the top from a portfolio construction standpoint and continue to look for opportunities in other places. I mean, it's been a home run. Uh, there, there's no doubt about that. And yes, streaming has been the, the large driver, but now you get parks back and, you know, entertainment's going to come back and production and things like that, which could lead to upside. I think, you know, there are a lot of analysts who think that could lead to more upside in the shares. Absolutely, which is why we're not eliminating the position. And I think that there are going to be some other streaming services that are going to be um, perhaps, you know, more vulnerable over the course of the next few months because that is their sort of focus, okay? So you think about the Discovery Plus launch, you think about Netflix, as I mentioned. So I think Parks Revenue is certainly going to play into this reopening. I'd much rather hold a Disney rather than go out and buy an airline right now from a, uh, from a leisure reopening standpoint. But I do think that there could be some consolidation in the stock. And, and frankly, it could be an opportunity for us to increase the size of our position to a more meaningful overweight at that time. Um, but we still like the company. Uh, we do think that they're going to continue to execute. But we just think to you know, to Pete's point, there's, you know, there's some other opportunities in this market that we don't want to go um, overlook. Do you want to tell me why you bought American Tower? And, you know, you talked about taking some profits and redeploying that capital elsewhere. So why American Tower? So when we think about potential infrastructure build and we think about the changing dynamic of, you know, the U.S. community, one of the things, and I, you know, I mean, we talk a little bit about these work from home stocks and a lot of these high flying growth stocks. I actually think that things like towers and, the be, and to be able to expand our infrastructure in a different way speak more to the long term changes that we anticipate in American society. And so if you think about the 5G trade, which we were in through Verizon, um, which we sold to help fund this purchase, um, we think that 5G is going to continue to expand. And instead of going into, you know, some of the metals, we're already in aggregate through MLM. 
IONFCX from a copper perspective. We do think that commodities have run up a bit. A great way to play the infrastructure trade, in our view, um, is through American Tower, because we do think that this is a longer-term trend over the next several years. Um, it has a high barrier to entry in this space, and we think that they can continue to execute as 5G becomes more uh, globally utilized, particularly here in the United States. And they stand to benefit significantly from that without as much of the CapEx spend on Spectrum that Verizon is, has been doing and is going to be forced to continue to do to fund that 5G growth. You know, Pete, I misstated um, one of your, your call buys. You have, you have a fairly sizable list today, and, and this name sort of got jumbled within it, um, Square. You, you did buy calls in, in Square. So as we've seen in the past, you're willing to make an exception from time to time when you talk about high valuation, high growth oh, technology stocks. Yeah, but let's just correct you for one second, Scott. I'm talking about stocks that you are willing to trade. Trading a stock is completely different than buying stocks. And I'm, when I'm trading in the options, that's a completely different uh, uh, set of circumstances because you can use that very short term and use those options to your advantage, hopefully, um, when we do see some of that unusual option activity. So I will trade a Peloton. I will trade, you know, a number of these CrowdStrike and all the rest. But those are trades. Those are and they are not going out into the future very far. I am not going out three, six months and, and those kinds of things. I'm absolutely trading what are week long, two week long options when I see a lot of these high multiple, no multiple names. But when we're talking about stocks that you want to buy, uh, like I made a, a decision to get out of a bank, Scott. They still traded at incredible valuation. It looks great, Valley National. But I thought it was time because the stock had doubled since November when I first bought into it. And I thought, you know what? I'm looking at this name. It's a 2008 high. I'm going to take this off because it's been a great run. But I think that, you know, I don't want to be caught. And, and so I think that those... Those are the kinds of names that I will buy and hold for a while. But the others, the high multiple, no multiple names, I'm trading those. I am not putting those in and saying, you know what, I'm looking forward to the next six months here. Well, what I also see interesting, Shannon, is, 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 you know, this American Tower buy that you have and you cite 5G as, as part of that. You sold Verizon and say that at least when it comes to 5G, that it's priced in there. So I'm confused. Help me out. A lot of what the benefit of 5G to Verizon is already, I think, is already in the stock. And so we look at it in terms of what do they need to do? There's been a lot of excitement. Um, Steve you know, Weiss has talked a lot about 5G and how, um, how critical it is um, over the course of the next couple of years. But I think Verizon investors have really been investing as, you know, as that being the plus for Verizon. And in order to fund that, the CapEx is going to continue. So it rather than just put, you know, our 5G chips in one basket, a basket that we think has already seen a lot of investors go into Verizon based on that 5G trade, but will continue to be supported through CapEx over the course of the next several years, American Tower has what we think is a broader positive impact, not just from 5G, but potentially from this infrastructure package, which I think is going to come, <laughs> whether McConnell wants to see it or not, um, come with tax, tax hikes, we'll see. Uh, but I do think that that is, you know, a, we're not necessarily saying that we don't think 5G is a trend that you want to be investing in. We're just pivoting to get exposure to it in a slightly different way. So let's go through some of the more interesting calls on the street today, if, if we could. Nike today. Joe, which you own, 
Price target raised to 173 from 170, not a huge bump. They reiterate their overweight call. And they say that fears over more lockdowns in Europe and port issues in North America can be offset by underlying digital strength globally and in China as well. Tell me about Nike shares right now. Joe is frozen. You know, I really hate when that happens. Jim, are you frozen? You want me to take it? <laughs> no, I'm with you, and I was ready to take that one. Um, I've owned Nike, but it was, it was many years ago. And at a 37 times forward multiple, I'm just not going to own it. I will acknowledge the great brand, but I will look at other stocks that I own, like Apple, great brand with a 27 times forward multiple. Uh, Starbucks, great brand with a higher multiple, but one that they're easily going to grow into. They've got some, and I know we're going to talk about Starbucks later. At the end of the day, I just can't justify the 37 so, times forward multiple on Nike, and especially not when interest rates are rising. I'm I can't so, do it. I'm so glad that you mentioned Starbucks. And yes, we have the CEO on our program in just a little while, because I was having a hard time understanding how you could justify Nike at 37 times forward. I mean, you say you can't justify Nike at 37 times forward, but you justify Starbucks at 36 times forward. Why? Because you own Starbucks and you don't own Nike. And then you say Starbucks can easily grow into the multiple, but Nike can't? Yes. What, my goodness, what a cynic you are today, Scott. But OK, I'll play along with it. Um, and, and, and I want to I talk, uh, you know, when we get into the Starbucks section about this, the, ex, the expenses are very high for Starbucks right now. We know this. It's because of the COVID crisis and it's because of the restrictions and guidelines that they've uh, had in place, particularly here in the U.S., as those expenses come down, and I really want to talk to Mr. Johnson about that, um, that should uh, unleash the earnings power. I don't see that happening with Nike. Now, maybe I'm wrong, and I'd love to be educated if there are expenses. I heard about the port congestion. That's not enough. That's not enough that when that clears up, that's going to in some way reduce the expenses enough to increase the profitability to justify the 37 times multiple. But that's my answer, and, and let's get into it in a few minutes. We will. Uh, Joe, do you, you want to you know, rebut anything that, that Jim just said now Absolutely. that you're unfrozen? Absolutely. Both Starbucks and Nike, everyone keeps classifying them as reopening trades. They're not reopening trades. They're repositioning trades. They're companies that because of the pandemic, the opportunity has been crystallized to reposition their company and pivot. So Nike has so dramatically pivoted from a wholesale model to direct to consumer. And is there further upside? There absolutely is. There's gross margin expansion, and it's going to be reflected in the coming quarter. Why? Because they're back to full pricing, Scott. The discounting has gone away. The inventory surplus has been worked off. You potentially could see Nike looking at full-year guidance and raising it. So both of these stocks I own, I, both, I see both of them moving higher, and it's predicated on their ability to reposition the model. I'm going to give Jimmy the hater the last word. Go ahead on Nike, Jimmy. I, I, I'm willing to be wrong on this. I, I'm not sitting here hating on Nike at all. I, it's a choice every day of what stocks you want to buy and what do you want to sell. It, I'm not saying it's going down. I'm not selling it short. I just say for great brands at the right price, I look at Apple, I look at Starbucks. I'm happy with those two. I don't need to add Nike to the mix. I hope Joe's right for his sake. 
<laughs> okay. I like the debate. Uh, that, that, that's why I tried to get that, that stirred up anyway. All right. You mentioned Starbucks. That stock's surging 85% over the last year. We do have a first on CNBC interview with CEO Kevin Johnson that is just ahead of the company's annual shareholder meeting. It's coming up in two minutes right here on the Halftime Report. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, Starbucks shares up 86% over the past year, and at least one firm thinks there is more room to run from those recent record highs. Telsey is raising its price target today to $120. First on CNBC, the company's CEO, Kevin Johnson, who's with our Kate Rogers ahead of the company's annual meeting today. Kate, take it away. Scott, thanks so much. And Kevin, thanks for joining us today. Good to see you. Good to see you, Kate. So Scott just said it, annual meeting kicking off today. The company is also celebrating its 50th anniversary this year, coming off one of the toughest years for Starbucks and the restaurant industry as a whole. You know, in recent history, what's your message to shareholders today about the future of the company and meeting consumers where they want to be in this new normal as we move ahead? Well, Kate, this is a very special moment for Starbucks, you know, founded in 1971. And so here we are 50 years uh, later, and you think about this last year, you know, this last year has been one where we've uh, worked from home, we've schooled our children from home, we've, uh, we've gone through sort of a period of isolation. Uh, Surgeon General Vivek Murthy even called it a social recession. And so as we get vaccinations rolled out, we are on the cusp of what we call the great human reconnection. And so here celebrating Starbucks 50th anniversary, Starbucks was built for this moment the opportunity to bring customers back into our stores, make them feel part of a community. And uh, once again, you know, people will be saying, let's go have a cup of coffee together. So uh, this is a very special moment for Starbucks. We also have to talk about China, your second home market, really key in moving ahead. You'll be off, opening up rather a coffee innovation park there in 2022 for sustainable roasting. How does sustainability fit into the next 50 years of Starbucks as we move ahead? Well, you know, Kate, we've, we've always been a company that had a purpose that goes far beyond the pursuit of profit. And as we think about celebrating this 50th uh, anniversary, you know, part of what 
uh, our role and responsibility is, is to have the wisdom to know what to honor and preserve from the past, while at the same time having the courage to boldly reimagine the future. And so when we look to the future, we've set some very bold aspirations around our environmental sustainability agenda that we call Planet Positive. It means that we want to give more than we take from the planet. So we've benchmarked our carbon, water, and waste, and we've set goals, uh, 2030 goals in each of those categories. So this investment in this coffee innovation park is the first sustainable roasting plant that we've built, the most sustainable in the world that we are building in China. And it's just one thing that we're doing to help uh, not only reduce our carbon footprint, ultimately get to net zero, but then ultimately get to where we actually store more carbon than we emit. And that is a long-term agenda and we're committed to that. And cold beverages have been selling well all year round in recent years for Starbucks. Talk to us about that portfolio mix moving forward. We know you have some new innovations on the way like cold press espresso. I'm sure uh, consumers will be excited to try out. What does that look like for the brand as we move ahead? Okay, you know, we've always said that we've got we've to create a great experience in our stores and we've got we've to introduce innovative new uh, beverages for our customers. And a few years ago, we called out this shift from hot beverages to cold. It's a mixed shift. And uh, if you look at what, uh, what we've seen recently, we now see more than 50% of the beverages that we, uh, that we sell at Starbucks are cold. And if you think about cold brew and nitro cold brew and those sets of, of, uh, of, of beverages, We've now introduced these, uh, these iced shake and espresso beverages that we just introduced along with oat milk. And those are super popular. In fact, uh, you know, our, our beverage mix is well above 50% cold. And uh, you know, as you point out, we're gonna continue to innovate around things like cold pressed espresso. So in addition to cold brew, nitro cold brew, we're now innovating when it comes to the espresso beverage line as well. And we're seeing many more iced espresso beverages than we've ever seen uh, in our past. Hey, Kevin, uh, it's Scott Wapner. Thank you so much for coming on the Halftime Report today. I got a couple things for you. Uh, I'd like to talk to you about how you got through the pandemic and what you think comes next. What I'd like you to do is listen to a soundbite from one of my investment committee members, a devoted shareholder of yours, who talked about that. And we can uh, react to it on the other side. Here's Josh Brown from a conversation we had yesterday. What Starbucks did in response to the pandemic was not close a whole bunch of stores and hope for the best. They literally retooled their entire business around this idea that we would come out of the pandemic, but some aspects of consumer behavior would never be the same again. Starbucks had the financial wherewithal to do what they've done, and now that's going to start paying dividends. Josh went on to say it's more about walk-up windows and drive-throughs. And I'm just wondering, can, can you react to what he said about how you're thinking about that and the future? Yeah, certainly, Scott. Well, you know, this last year was an unprecedented year. And, uh, you know, as we went into this pandemic, we set three simple principles for, for us to live by and make decisions to. The first was to, you know, focus and prioritize the safety and well-being of our partners and the customers we serve. Second was to partner with uh, health officials as they work to mitigate and contain the virus. And number three was to show up in a positive and responsible way in every community we support. Now we fundamentally transformed how we created and delivered those safe, familiar and convenient experiences that customers were seeking throughout this pandemic. That has served us well. You know, you've seen uh, quarter by quarter, we've seen sequential improvement in this recovery. 
And, you know, although it's not linear week to week or month to month, it has shown sequential improvement in recovery. Last quarter, you know, China was fully recovered. This, uh, this quarter, the U.S. is on a great path forward. And yet we also have transformed the company for what we think are the cons uh, consumer behaviors that will stay going forward. And so there's kind of five consumer behaviors that we have, have oriented ourselves and optimized the experience for. You know, the first is connection. You know, even as we come out of this pandemic, we are all going to crave social connection and interacting with one another. That will still be true in our stores. The second, though, is one that we think has really been amplified, and that is to meet the customer where they are, to provide them an experience that is effortlessly fits their lifestyle. And so that's mobile ordering, that's curbside, that's drive-through, that's, uh, that's delivery. And so we complement that third place experience with these other channels. Uh, certainly customers are gonna look for the consistency, the things that were familiar before the pandemic. That is an important attribute. Now, certainly customers care more and more about high quality ingredients and especially plant-based proteins. So you see, we've tra we're transforming our beverage platform. We just introduced oat milk along with almond milk, soy milk, coconut. And then the fifth is uh, more and more consumers are looking to do business with a company that demonstrates values, mm -hmm. that has a purpose that goes beyond the pursuit of profit, whether that is uh, equity and inclusion or environmental sustainability. So we've really adapted the company to, to not only the pandemic, but what we think is going to happen post-pandemic, and it will forever change consumer behavior, in our opinion. Your, your, your stores can obviously, from time to time, be, be crowded. Um, you know, it's a, it's a personal relationship and sort of personal touch type of business, right? We're, we're used to seeing the smiling faces of our baristas uh, every day, no matter which coffee shop we're going to. And I'm wondering on that note, are you going to require your employees to get the, the vaccine? You know, we are not going to require them, but we're strongly encouraging our partners to, to get vaccinated. And, and that's been the trend that we're seeing within the company now. You know, we feel like that's a personal decision that each of our partners can make. Uh, and uh, we're gonna strongly encourage them to do that. And we've got great confidence in our partners. You know, our partners really deserve all the credit for how they navigated through this pandemic when it came to uh, embracing CDC, uh, health and safety protocols, wearing masks, social distancing, hand washing, sanitizing the stores. And so I've got uh, full trust and confidence that Starbucks partners are going to rise to the occasion and we're embracing and helping support this whole vaccination process, but we don't require it. I know you have to go, but my, another shareholder is with me today who has a quick question for you. Jim? Great. Yes, thanks. Thanks, Mr. Johnson. I'm also, in addition to being a proud shareholder, I'm a proud parent of one of your partners. Uh, my daughter, who's college age, uh, does part-time work as a barista. And I have to say that you mentioned equality and inclusion uh, in how you treat your partners. It's not just that, it's empowerment, and it's fabulous. But my question to you, uh, seeing how things go from her eyes, it seems to me in the short term, there's a lot of room for expenses to come down as the pandemic becomes less. I see the protocols firsthand that you've put in place when a worker tests positive. It costs you a lot when, you know, close down your stores, uh, get rid of some inventory. Is that something as a shareholder we can look forward to over the next years that margins go up as hopefully these protocols become less draconian? Well, Jim, thanks for the question. First of all, uh, you should be very proud of your daughter. I am very proud of all Starbucks partners who proudly wear the green apron. They showed up this year and they showed up in ways that uh, 
that are, I, I will forever be grateful for. And in terms of your question on, on margins, you know, certainly at our December investor day, we guided for the fact that we are going to see some expansion in margins. Uh, and at the same time, even with that expansion in margins, we are going to continue to invest in increases of wage for our partners. We're going to invest in the, in the, the digital uh, platform that we have that reaches our, our customers. And we're going to continue to invest in environmental sustainability. So I think there's enough room for margin expansion and these investments, which is why we believe that by the year 2030, we'll grow from 33,000 stores to 55,000 stores around the world. The addressable market for coffee is going to continue to grow. We're going to continue to differentiate Starbucks and take our share, fair share of that growing market. And we're going to do it by staying true to the mission and the values that built this great company. Kevin, good to have you with us. Kate Rogers, you want to wrap it up? Kevin was just going to ask quickly, as vaccines roll out and the stimulus checks, you know, hit consumer mailboxes, do you think the volatility is behind us? Well, Kate, you know, I, I still say, look, it, it's, it's not linear week to week or month to month, but we continue to see great progress quarter to quarter. And as I, as I outlined, we're on, we're, we're on what can only be described a path for the great human reconnection, as all of us will want to socialize once again, feel a part of a community, and that will, we will welcome those customers into our stores, and we will do it with that special Starbucks experience that we are known for. Great, and we all look forward to it. Kevin Johnson, Starbucks CEO, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Kate. All right, Kate, we appreciate that very much. Thank you. Elon Moy now has breaking news for us on the rollout of the stimulus checks. Hi, Elon. Hi, Scott. The Treasury Department and the IRS have now issued roughly 90 million stimulus payments less than one week after the COVID relief package was signed into law. Now, those payments were worth more than $242 billion. That's nearly 60 percent of the total amount of those checks. Now, most of the payments were direct deposits, and Treasury said that everyone who got the money in their bank accounts will be able to access it as of today. And Treasury also mailed out 150,000 paper checks worth $442 million. Additional payments will go out over the coming weeks by direct deposit, checks, and even prepaid debit card. The White House has said 85 percent of households will receive a payment, and the money is coming as President Biden hits the road to tout his relief package. Scott, as we know, those checks are one of the most popular parts of the law. Back to you. Yeah, no doubt about that, Elon. Thank you. Elon Moy with that news for us. Let's get the headlines now with Rahel Solomon. Hi, Rahel. Hi, Scott. Let's start with Vice President Kamala Harris and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer among the politicians now speaking out against anti-Asian violence following yesterday's shootings in Atlanta. Schumer says that while the motives for the massage parlor killings are not yet clear, the rise in hate crimes must be addressed. The people of Atlanta, Georgia and surrounding communities were just shocked last night by a series of shootings that left eight people dead, six of whom, six of whom were of Asian descent. But there's a legitimate concern that these killings may have been racially motivated. And white supremacist propaganda surged last year. That's according to a new report by the Anti-Defamation League. The group recorded over 5,100 incidents in every state except Hawaii. Now, that is twice the number it recorded in 2019. And a new report says that Americans spent $492 billion less on travel in 2020. That's a 42% decline from 2019. According to the U.S. Travel Association, 
The group says that the travel decline also cost the economy 5.6 million jobs. But Scott, it does appear that we may be turning a page, because as you know, we heard from those airline executives this week that bookings are on the rise, traffic is on the rise. So here's hoping for a better summer travel season than last year for those airlines. Yeah, I have a feeling it's going to be pretty busy. Rahel, thank you. Rahel Solomon with us there. Up next, we have Pete's latest trades in unusual activity. We'll do that right after the break. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Pete's got unusual. What do you have for us today, Pete? Well, I got Kamiko for you to start off things, Scott. CCJ, we're talking about uranium here. And since March, we've had six bullish hits. Stock started off at 17 bucks. Now it's trading around 19 bucks. We had a buyer of 6100 April 22 calls. They were going for 53 cents up to 65 cents. I like this trade. I was in this trade before. I got out of it. Now I'm back in right again. I also got a second one for you. IGT, International Gaming Technology. Now, we all know about MGM, LBS, and all the rest of them. This stock trading about 1820. We had a buyer today of 4,500 April 21 calls, 40 cents to 45 cents. Fairly inexpensive. I like what we see here. We do have earnings on May 18th. So, uh, uh, two really quality names, I think, as we get into April that I'm willing to hold on to. Yeah, all right. Thank you. On the, on the phone is better than nothing, Pete. Straight ahead. Appreciate it, man. (laughs) Straight ahead. Damian Woody is joining the committee, the two-time Super Bowl champ, avid investor as well. Big fan of the show. We are back with him in two minutes. Count our next guest as a big fan of Kathy Wood's ARCS funds. Two-time Super Bowl champion Damian Woody. He is with us now to talk some stocks and NFL free agency, which officially gets underway today. It's good to see you. Thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, you know, we connected during the whole GameStop mania, and you are the epitome of a growth investor. You love Kathy Wood's ARCS funds. You're, you're in the Innovation Fund, the Genomic Fund, the Autonomous Technology. Tell me about that. Yeah, I just think that she's a disruptor. And I think, you know, when you're looking at where things are headed, you know, I think automation is going to be huge. You know, we're going to be competing with China, you know, as far as AI is concerned. So I think you know, I think that area is going to be huge. And I decided uh, a few months ago, just actually watching the show, decided a few months ago that I'm going to jump into it. That's interesting. You, you have other, obviously, you know, you have some large cap technology stocks like Apple and, and Alphabet, the Qs. Do you genuinely gravitate towards technology type stocks? No, I'm, I, listen, I'm all over the place. I don't like to, you know, throw my, all my eggs in one basket. You know, I'm into oil. You know, I think, you know, as much as we talk about green energy, oil isn't going anywhere. So, you know, the Chevron, the Exxon, uh, PayPal, Square, you know, I'm all up travel. Now that they seems like we're coming on the other side of the pandemic, I'm in a little bit of everything. So that's that's how I'm rolling. Yeah. Jim Labenthal's on the show today. You may know from from watching that he's a big GM guy. Uh, you have GM yep. and Ford. Jim, what do you think about Damien's GM holding here? I, I, well, I like it a lot. And, you know, one, one thing that we're talking about is, is this value or is this just people piling on the bandwagon? I think it can be both. I don't think that this is something where GM gets looked at in the same regard as Tesla. I think there are very strong fundamental reasons to believe in GM, both from the internal combustion engine point of view and the electric vehicle point of view. I mean, it's a winner on both fronts. 
This is a multi-year hold. Have you been, Damien, a shareholder in, in GM and Ford for a while now? I have. I have. And I know, like, everyone talks about how, you know, GM and Ford is, is going, you know, all electric, you know, in the near future. But I've been a big believer in, in both those companies anyway. Plus, I just like owning American stocks. Yeah. Jim Cramer was tweeting and he said he wanted, I guess, to ask you uh, if his Eagles were a stock, which would they be? I'm maybe thinking because I'm a Washington guy that maybe they'd be Teladoc, right? A lot of hype, and now they're 40% off the high. I don't know. You you answer, Jim. He'll get mad at me. Yeah, listen, I'm not trying to offend Jim because Jim is my guy, but, man, they're, I'm, I'm buying really low on, on the Eagles right now. They're in a rebuild. They, they, they're trying to dig themselves out of the salary cap, so I'm buying low on the Eagles. Speaking of which, the salary cap, you played for Belichick for a little bit. Uh, man, I'd say he opened the wallet, but it's the Brinks truck. Um, what do you make of that? Oh, oh man, this is, I've, we've, I've never seen anything like this from, from Bill. You know, for him to pay this type of money, especially early in free agency, usually the great teams build through the draft. And I think what Bill saw last year was he saw his quarterback, Tom Brady, go down to Tampa, win a Super Bowl, and his roster is depleted. So this is the time to kind of strike where a lot of teams are cash-strapped, and Bill is doing that. Do you know off the top of your head what the best performing stock, at least in, in, in recent history, is in your portfolio? And how, how often do you trade? You know, like my main portfolio, I have it professionally managed. But for me, I, you know, I just started kind of doing, you know, list retail trading type of stuff probably a little over a year ago. Um, Tesla was Tesla was doing really good for me. I've kind of gotten off of Tesla, but it performed very well for me. Yeah, it certainly did. You and a lot of other people as well. Thanks for coming on with us. Uh, we'll definitely uh, do this again me. soon. This was fun. Yeah, we're not going to bring up the Capitals either. Let's, we're, gonna, we're not going to worry about that. I don't even need to say anything after last <laughs> night. <laughs> Damian Woody, we'll talk to you soon. All right now. All right. Up next, how futures traders are setting up for Jay Powell's news conference. That's coming up this afternoon. We're back after this. It's time for the futures outlook. The 10-year yield hitting its highest level in more than a year ahead of today's Fed decision. Let's bring in Bill Baruch for that trade, the $64 trillion question. What's Powell going to say about it today? What's your trade on the direction? Thanks, Judge. You know, it's Fed Day. You know, we, in, the, in the mix here, it's the policy, it's inflation, it's rates. They're all here. You know, and as for inflation, CPI, PCE, these metrics are not showing it, but it's here. Lumber prices have doubled. Energy is at 2018 levels. And then we're seeing agriculture commodities. They're at multi-year highs. Inflation's here. As you mentioned, the 10-year at one, nearly 1 1.7. It's already moved. So is the Fed going to rein in the bubble, the, the sort of belly to the end of the curve? Uh, and what they could do today, I think they will say something at a minimum, em emphasize the underemployment. Or they, do they talk about the SLR? Do they talk about yield curve control? Something there. I mean, just the tiniest bit, I think, would get this uh, the Treasury prices moving higher. And I'm so I'm selling the news, which means buying Treasuries. I think we had a little bit of a capitulation February 25th and lower volume as we've seen lower lows. So what I'm doing is I'm buying 131.16 in the June 10 year. I'm putting a stop at 130.16. That's risking $1,000. To the upside, I'm, I'm looking for 133.16 to make $2,000. All right. Good stuff, Bill. Thank you. We'll keep our eye on the 10-year, that's for sure, all afternoon. Final trades are next. Final trades, there they are on the screen. Union Pacific, Cleveland Cliffs, General Motors, Freeport. We'll tweet them out as well. That does it for us. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. 
So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. 